Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a brilliant, brilliant episode for today with a wonderfully talented and athletic and charismatic guest. Skeleton athlete from Canada, Jacqueline Laverge, joins the show. The show has featured many athletes in sliding sports, such as Skeleton, Bobsleigh, and Luge. And they always make for great conversation, as it takes an extra bit of confidence to propel yourself down a frozen track on a high-powered cafeteria tray. Something I truly admire. Confidence and crazy. One of my favorite combinations. And the conversation with Jacqueline thrilled me to no end, and she quickly became one of my favorite guests Feel like I could listen to her talk about her career on repeat, and we're honored to have her show. And I think listeners will become fans of Jacqueline. Like many other athletes in sliding sports, Jacqueline entered the world of skeleton by chance as she was competing in another sport, rugby. She had a promising rugby career, but made the switch to skeleton and began her first year of international racing in 2009. During that season, she competed on the North America's Cup circuit and had a breakout season, earning four podium finishes, placed first overall in the circuit, 45th in the world. Fast forward to 2020, and amazingly, the International Bobsleigh and Skeleton Federation was able to continue to hold races during the COVID-19 pandemic. There were changes, and the races were voluntary in nature, meaning that the points and rankings didn't count for the season. Jacqueline was able to make a long-time goal come true and made her debut on the World Cup race circuit for two races, including a best result of an 11th place finish at St. Moritz in Switzerland. After 14 years in the sport, Jacqueline now has her sights set on the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. She's taken all of her lessons and experience put together with aspirations of landing on the Canadian Olympic skeleton team. On today's delightful conversation, Jacqueline talks about her transition from rugby and how she started off just basically dabbling in skeleton and I don't think she ever anticipated that 14 years later she'd still be giving it a go. Jacqueline also reflects on the last year and how she's adapted her training and how the physical contact of rugby has helped set her up for success because she's used to taking hits. Lastly, Jacqueline reflects on the last 12 months and the lessons she's learned during this turbulent year. Like I said, one of my favorite conversations. I am the number one fan and supporter of Jacqueline LeBurge now. I'll be rooting for her every step of the way. She's incredibly affable. This was an insightful, honest conversation about mindfulness, about physical and mental training. Uh, she was just absolute delight to chat with. Before we bring on Jacqueline, I want to give a shout out to a couple of the show's medalists over the weekend. Yes, two former guests landed medals over the weekend. Lauren Regula scored a bronze medal in softball with the Canadian team. And my girl, Raven Saunders, who gave us an unforgettable interview in 2020. We can now call her Olympic silver medalist Raven Saunders as the American athlete finished second in shot put. Wonderful job, Raven. Looking forward to seeing what else. Keep doing your thing. Hair looks fantastic. Green obviously looks lovely on you. One last thing before we bring on Jacqueline. Training for the Olympics is difficult physically and mentally. It's also quite a challenge financially. And if you're interested in supporting Jacqueline and her efforts... You can visit her website, JacquelineLaBerge.com. And through her My22 Podium Fundraiser, you can play an integral part in helping her achieve her Olympic dream. A donation of $22 will help her upcoming competitive season and qualifications for the Olympic Games. Every dollar donated will go towards expenses related to training, competition, travel, equipment, and enhancing her performance. The sport of skeleton receives very little government funding, requiring athletes like Jacqueline to self-fund nearly 100% of the cost. Jacqueline balances a full-time career in Canada's energy sector, which has allowed her to fund most of her 14-year skeleton career. However, she does need your help. So if you're interested in supporting Jacqueline in her Olympic journey, visit her website, JacquelineLaBerge.com. 
Super stoked and excited for everyone to meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on Canadian skeleton athlete Jacqueline LaBerge, and let's learn. I'm always fascinated with sliding sports because I know it's a transition sport and oftentimes athletes kind of fell into it. And this is similar for your experience as well. I've read that you first tried skeleton when you were part of a rugby team. So what were those early days like? Yeah, so I was playing rugby throughout university um, and just at my college team as well as recreationally. And we were doing really well. I was really enjoying it. Um, we were having a lot of success. And then I was kind of starting to feel like I really wanted to challenge myself and um, uh, I guess see push myself and see how far I could go. So I, I even tried out for the Alberta team. Um, at the same time I was dating someone who, and we both, both played rugby and both went to the same university and he had done luge, um, grew up doing luge. Uh, he had retired cause he had put in a solid, <laughs> uh, I think 15 years or something decided he wanted to actually come out of retirement and try to make a push for the 2006 game. So then I ended up being just at the sliding track here in Calgary quite a bit, um, in addition to also being on the rugby field and whatever, and then tried skeleton through that. But yeah, it was really busy because for a while I was trying to balance both. Like I was just dabbling in skeleton. Hey, this is fun. This is, you know, I'll just do it on weekends. And then rugby was also on the weekends. I was training to try to be competitive at rugby, going to school, working like, yeah, it was really busy, but um, there was such a good group of friends in both that it was really hard to make a decision on which one to, to end. But yeah. Why did you choose to end rugby and go the skeleton route? Um, I, I had kind of taken my hand at trying out for Alberta. I didn't make it. Um, I think I was really naive at, the t at that point in time and was also like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of political. I'm not really sure. Like, and then I had a really good group of friends that I had made in sliding and I had really started to enjoy that. And then I saw some of them making teams and like traveling and, and going to these races to, for Canada at a really development level. And I was like, Oh, I want to do like, I don't know. I was like, I want to do that. I slide just as good as them. Why can't, you know, and then I missed making a few teams there, but um, it kind of spurred me just to like work really hard. And because I wanted to achieve that goal now, like mm -hmm. I still loved rugby, but I had been doing it for quite a few years. So it was just this new challenge that I was kind of more excited about, I think. Other than the work ethic, was there any aspect of rugby that helped you sliding? Um, <laughs> uh, you, you take some hits in rugby okay. and, uh, you know, so you, and yeah, so you're not, you know, you're kind of not scared to like take, take some hits and like, you'll take it and you'll be like, ah, someone stepped on me before. And like that, it hurt worse. Or, so, um, I think that part, uh, helped, um, that, um, what else? There wasn't too many crossovers. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, the work ethic, the training, um, the training I like better in skeleton because it's less, it's less cardio based. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's still some technical aspects, you know, to rugby when you're ball handling or learning new skills. And it's kind of the same, the same thing in sliding. Like it's just a skill you're learning and each corner kind of has different skills to get through that, that you have to learn. You currently have your sights set on the Beijing Olympics and training for that turbulent year. I know it was probably difficulty when it comes to training and having access to facilities. So what's the last year been like for you and what were some of the adaptations you made? 
Yeah, um, that is an understatement. Um, like everyone, we've all had to adapt. Uh, facility access has been really difficult um, throughout the last year, especially in Calgary and Alberta. Like we've just been in lockdown after, sorry, restriction after restriction. Um, I think our gyms were open for maybe like a, a couple months. But um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been good. I think it's really forced me to be adaptable and to focus like my mantra has been like focus on what you can control and like what's important right now so instead of trying to get ahead of yourself like i can't access gyms what does that mean for me in three months it's like what can i do um all of our coaches i think have had to also be really adaptable and in, in creating new training programs so last year we were outside um, doing a way more running. I think all our running mechanics probably improved from that. We did get some equipment. Um, we were training, we had this squat rack that we could set up with like eight bolts so we could take it down and set it up and we would, uh, lift as a group, like in parking lots. Mm. Um, there was this like grittiness and like this grind that you can't get when you're training indoors. So you're showing up to training and it's a torrential downpour and you're like, I don't want to be here, but you know, everyone is there and grinding through it. So you're kind of like it, I think it leveled us up and made us a little more resilient. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have that confidence when you finally do get somewhere and something slightly inconvenient, they're like, Oh, I trained through like a torrential downpour with, you know, or I, I lifted weights in a parking lot. Like mm -hmm. I got this. So um yeah it's been it's been good I, don't get me wrong i still want to go back to a gym i want to have a flat surface to lift on but um but there's definitely been benefits i think that that you know i'm appreciative of so yeah i, I think you mentioned the resilience and the grit are probably big winners in that for you it's, it takes an extra level of discipline to be able to train outdoors compared to a, a nice gym so what is an average training day like for you? And what's the physically most difficult aspect of your sport? I know that you mentioned cardio, is it? So aside from cardio, what's the most physically demanding? Yeah, so skeleton um, is, so for your listeners, I don't know if you have a video or whatever you'll show, but it's, um, we're an ice sport. So we, we have a sled that's essentially a glorified cafeteria tray. Um, it's this kind of flat piece of metal with some blades on it. We were single, so it's just myself and we, we put it on the ice. I run, I essentially sprint bent over with it for 10 to 20 meters. And then I jump on and try to drive it down the track as fast as I can. My head, shoulders, knees, and toes kind of thing. Um, and I lay out on my stomach. The start is so important for a sport. Um, it's not the be all end all, but it is the more speed that you can enter the first corner and enter the track with, which you're generating from your start. Um, is only an advantage like it just gives you more time to work with down the track and hopefully not lose but um, that for me has been the most challenging I'm not the fastest starter I didn't grow up with a sprinting background it there's a, we have a lot of sprinters or a lot of people that did track and field and I didn't um, so there's some technique stuff there that's been really challenging um, so that's probably the hardest aspect for me just from a technical standpoint and like a mental standpoint and being like I can get better and trying to see those hundreds drop um but yeah our training we train kind of like sprinters so a lot of speed and power we do a lot of weightlifting, so squats to get strong plyometrics box jumps um bounding that type of thing um power cleans for that explosiveness and then we do a lot of running on the track which is like sprinting um, usually shorter distances kind of 
anywhere from like 10 to 60 meters. Mm -hmm. uh, medicine ball throws, yeah, uh, that type of thing. Um, for me, yeah, I think, you know, the hardest, everything's hard, but it's kind of like, um, yeah, you're just, you're just pushing yourself every single day. So your body does take a bit of a beating and it's, you, you know, you're sore from lifting and then you have to go the next day and sprint and you're like, okay, like I need to, again, kind of grind through this and make sure you know, also that make sure that you're getting your recovery in. And that's actually really hard because you just finish a, a long workout. Like <laughs> the last thing you want to do is spend another hour rolling or stretching, but you really need to, otherwise you're just not going to be in a position to train for the rest of the week. Yeah. And I think your, your last two Instagram posts were both on rolling as well Is is that difficult to have recovery built in, especially knowing you've got the Olympics in, in, in less than a year and, and knowing that those rest days are recovery days are important, but maybe in the back of your mind, you feel guilty for taking them. Um, I used to, I think, I think actually a lot of athletes really struggle with that. Um, but you, you do come to a point where you, where I think <laughs> I have to lie, not lie, but I think every athlete exaggerate maybe every athlete probably does that and pushes themselves and like, I don't need rest days. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Beast mode, beast mode, mode. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually they're, you're going to fail. You're going to crash and you're going to be like, I'm, you might not even notice it. You'll be like, why is my performance so bad? But you've just run yourself into the ground for six months and it's going to take sometimes months to get that back to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. So, um, you know, that's kind of where your coach comes in, but it is hard for people to turn it off because you do have that, kind of guilt like there's this culture of always working really hard um but once people see the benefit once you've seen the benefit of recovery and um taking that rest time and you show up and the next day at the gym you're like man i feel great like that lift was great or that sprinting was awful then you kind of start believing in it a bit more and buying into that um but yeah it's hard um i've really gotten into stretching and rolling uh, this off season, I was kind of always doing it, but like the way I was doing it just didn't seem to work very well. But I feel like I found a method that's um, easy for me to commit to, and I'm seeing results from it. And I actually feel like so good. So now I'm just kind of on this thing. Like it takes 30 days to make a habit, so I'm on day five. I can't quit now. Like <laughs> I got to start from zero if I do that. So, in terms of stretching, and I know balance is important for you. Have you felt improvements on a run? through through stretching and through balance maybe if you start working on one aspect of balance over time you're like wow that actually made a difference even though it might have only been the smallest of changes um maybe not down the track but mm -hmm. for sure in the start like we're in this weird bent over position with one hand on the sled huh. um your knees are essentially coming to your chest so the more you can get into that position in an easy way and your body you know, has the range of motion and the flexibility to move in those patterns or, or get into those. It, it just has that flexibility. Um, the easier it is, you'll be like, Oh, I used to remember how, like how this would hurt so much or be so uncomfortable. And now it just feels so easy or you kind of notice changes like that or like squatting or with certain movements that maybe you felt restricted before. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is actually really easy and actually feels good. It doesn't, feel bad anymore it doesn't like oh i hate this exercise because it's uncomfortable but now it's like no yeah it's uncomfortable because there's weight on it but it's not uncomfortable because my body doesn't like being in that position your sports are incredibly exciting exhilarating a little bit of danger with that as well so to participate in a sport like that requires intense mental focus because you're doing something that's exciting but it, you also have to be focused enough that you're not putting yourself at risk so mentally what do you do to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind 
Yeah. Um, so everyone is different, but for me, this has been such a growth aspect for me over the last four years. Um, the last Olympics, I like, I was trying to make the Olympic team. I had a really good season the year before I was like, I can do this. Sure. I'm a dark horse. Everything has to line up, but, um, I just wasn't mentally, uh, I didn't have this, I didn't have the tools to help me get through a lot of the things that I was dealing with. So, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to retire at the end of that quad, like after the Olympics. And that was really weighing on me. Like, you know, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to, what I had set out to do. Um, you know, I had these goals in my mind. So then I was dealing with, you know, I'm a failure. What did I do just spending the last 10 years doing this? Um, and I haven't achieved anything. Um, that really started weighing on me. And I, like, I, in my, I thought I had a legitimate shot at winning a few races that I was entered in and I actually crashed in them. Like, and I was like, I've never crashed here. Like what is going on? And working with a sports psychologist, it was just all this other stuff is you're going 140 kilometers an hour and you have this, you don't realize that you have this baggage that you're carrying down the track with you and this kind of like hyper stress state that you're in. And then you're adding a competition on top of that. Um, so yeah, for me, I've really had to work through that type of stuff. Um, I do a lot of mindfulness work. So I really, for me, I really try to be in the present moment and make sure that I'm staying there. Um, I have a, a really easy time of trying to like, oh my God, what if this happens and this and this, I'm a planner. So then I want to plan everything. That's not the way life is. So I just always have to take a step back. Um, for me, I also find uh, getting, I, I use breath work to get into a state of calmness and stillness and so I find for me being able to go into nature or even just outside where it's maybe more still um, where there's not a lot of people around and just being able to sit there and feel that stillness mm -hmm. will allow my breath to just kind of calm my body and my mind down um, I try to bring that to my sliding as well so I have a bit of breathing that I do ahead of sliding um, in the start house but as well like right before my run while I'm standing on the line um, I'll do some breath work as, as well, just to make sure that I'm in this like kind of calm focused state for me. Do you tag along any specific thoughts or intentions while you're doing it? Or is it just purely the breath? Um, it's mostly the breath. It has a feeling inside for me. So I try to like channel this certain feeling that I get, mm -hmm. but I've, uh, this is going to sound super crazy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I've almost attached like colors to this state of mind. So um, like, like pale baby yellow for some reason, just really, I can think about that color and breathe at the same time and just kind of bring myself into this state. So sometimes, um, yeah, standing on the start line, you know, I can, it, I can think of that and, and the breathing as well, or Whistler is just so beautiful. It's got this gorgeous view that it's easy to also just look out at the track and, and and kind of find that calmness in it because it's just such a beautiful place to be. So yeah. outside of Whistler, what's been the most memorable track? Um, I think, I think St. Moritz, it's pretty well known on tour for being like the best, the, the most special and beautiful track. Um, I, I definitely find that it's called the top of, you know, it's tagline is the top of the world. Cause it's at the top of these mountains, the Swiss Alps. And, um, it's also where a lot of one percenters go, but, um, it's a winter wonderland. It's absolutely stunning. The, I think they get like 330 years of 330 days a year of sunshine. So 
it is um, wide open sky, which is like Calgary, Alberta is just like that. So I think there's probably a special place in my heart for that. <laughs> but it's wide open sky. You have these beautiful um, mountains in the wintertime, like it's this gorgeous white snow is everywhere. And, it's, and those postcards that you see of like people skating on lakes in the winter or like sleigh rides, like that is literally St. Moritz. Um, they have a massive lake that people cross country ski or skate or do this. And then in the morning and at night, like with the sunrise and sunset, you get these gorgeous like cotton candy colored skies that are just absolutely spectacular. And at nighttime, like there's no cloud cover. So you can see these stars and like the, ref the, the little bit of light that there is from the street light, like reflects off the snow on the mountains. So you can kind of see like the mountain sh shadows at night. It's just, yeah, it's just beautiful. What a, what a fantastic description of that. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> how, how much virtual work do you do in your training as far as I know, especially when you were limited and restricted from traveling, do you do work as far as virtually to practice a track with the turns? Um, I don't do a ton, uh, but, but some sliders do. So I used to, I used to do a lot of visualizations. I've kind of come to the realization that um, doing a lot for me actually takes away my, um, it makes me overwork down the track because I get in my mind, like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what I'm supposed to do versus actually managing what is happening in reality. Like I'm not in that spot. I shouldn't be doing that steer or, um, so I find that for me over time, I've figured out like actually limiting my visualizations is, is helpful to me so I can just react more and be more present. Um, but a lot of people do, a lot of people do a lot of visualizations. I do a lot with regards to sprinting and pushing. So trying to recreate movements in my mind um, where I want my leg or, or hips or, and trying to break down the movement a bit more so I can essentially slow it down in my brain and try to like replicate that in real time. But um, yeah, for sure. Like when we do go to a new, when we do go to a track like every week or for your competitions, I will, we have YouTube has some great point of view videos where people have strapped GoPros on and you can essentially watch it like you are going down the track. So yeah, I'll definitely watch that a few times um, just to remind myself of how the track goes and also get that reminder of the speed. Um, you kind of don't, you kind of forget that part sometimes. You're, and then you get on the track and you're like, Oh, this is way faster than I thought it was going to be, or forgot how slow this was or whatever. Yeah. So you've had a very successful career and is there one specific performance that makes you the most proud? Yes. Um, my, I won an I intercontinental cup in Whistler, BC a while ago, <laughs> unfortunately a while ago, but, um, that was super special for me. I had the, the year before I had, I had struggled, um, so much. I just with just everything, everything had gone wrong. And then I had actually gotten quite injured. I had injured my hamstring tendon where it attaches into my, um, pelvis. So I couldn't run actually all summer. Um, my teammates were running. I was like walking around the track and hoping it wouldn't get irritated. So I went into that season, not being really confident, but I actually ended up pushing, uh, I pushed my best I had ever at that point in time made the intercontinental cup team, which is one that I had been eyeing for a long time. So I was really excited for that. Um, I went to Europe and I was so excited and just, I had tons and tons of sled problems and I didn't even get second runs. And it was just this devastating first half of the season. 
Um, I came back at Christmas. I asked, I rented a sled off a, off an old slide, an old slider, um, had never taken it down this, it was the same brand, but just like older and different. Um, took it out to Whistler for these, this intercontinental cup race and, uh, set PBs like the first, the first few days I was on it and slid so well that week. We had two races. The first race, um, like I'd been setting PBs all week had been in the top two sliding. So I was like, I have a real chance of winning this. Um, kind of got in my head, didn't know really how to deal with that expectation you put on yourself that like, Oh, I could win this. And then you kind of start changing what you're doing a bit. Um, so I came fourth the first race and I was really disappointed. And our coach at the time was Duff Gibson, who's the gold medalist from 2006. And I had gone and talked to him that night and said like, you know, I don't know what happened. Like I was sliding so well, why did I come forth? Like, um, and so we walked through like, what were you thinking? And he kind of was like, you know, Jacqueline, like toboggan, you know, skeleton for you is everything, but no one really cares that much. So being able to kind of hear that perspective that like, it's just tobogganing, it's like glorified tobogganing. Um, you know, it means a lot and you can acknowledge that, but also remember that, you know, in the bigger scheme of life, you know, don't get too wrapped up. So I went out the next day and was just, just felt so much lighter and less pressure on myself. And then I remember crossing the finish line after the second round and seeing a, a one and man, that was, that was the best feeling I think I've ever had. Yeah, I can still see you glowing as you refresh back yeah. on memory. <laughs> you mentioned St. Moritz, you mentioned Whistler. So we're gonna exclude those two, but which yeah. are the locations <laughs> that you've traveled to as a tourist that you appreciate and respect the most? Ooh, I know you don't get a lot of time to be a tourist. I know you're busy and going from event to event, but. I am, I am not a very well-traveled person. Um, you know, I grew up, my mom didn't do a lot of traveling. Um, and then my dad remarried. Um, and so there was four of us, uh, me and my brother and I had stepped kids. So it was pretty expensive to travel. Um, so I didn't do a lot. Uh, I've, you know, gone to a few places. I'm definitely not the most adventurous, um, uh, traveling. I, I really love, I like, I, I love Hawaii. <laughs> so, um, I think there's like, you know, this element of tropical beaches, um, with the, you know, kind of security of, of familiar in, you know, that it's still North America ish, like that, that convenience of North America, I yeah. guess. Um, but so, yeah, I loved Hawaii. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, we did travel to, um, where else? I actually haven't done a ton of traveling. Um, Costa Rica, I went there. It was great. Like the people were so friendly, so friendly. Um, and you know, they had really good, um, I learned to surf there. So that has a special place in my heart too. And, um, the food was delicious and, uh, the culture was great as well. And, and the Island is, is gorgeous Island. Oof, I don't know. No, okay, no, sorry. <laughs> Geography is also not my strong suit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it was gorgeous. I loved it. So, well, let yeah. me let me flip the question then. What will be the next location that is number one on your list after the next Olympics and you got some time? What's number one on your list to go to? I really want to go to the UK, um, but I want to go because I really want to bring my mom there. She's not, again, not a traveler. Um, and I just, I think she deserves it. And I think it'd be so much fun to do like high tea with her and, um, go around and see a variety of different things throughout the UK. So 
that's going to be on my list and um it's not super adventurous but um that's yeah it's a great choice great choice <laughs> tremendous year challenging year difficult year with all that being said what do you feel is the biggest lesson you've learned over the last 12 months um i think it is just to be adaptable um and try not to control things and just be you know reckon focus on what you can control um you know there's there's just so much we can't so if you're feeling overwhelmed like you can control trying to reduce that stress um a little bit and that could be going and talking to someone that could be going outside you could feel um you know cooped up in your house and hopefully you're able to go out for a walk or feeling like this is never going to end but i think setting those goals you know when i'm done traveling or when I, when i'm allowed to this is what i'm going to do mm -hmm. um but then also being appreciative of, of what you do have and and the opportunities that you have you know last year we weren't sure if the season was going to happen there was rumors that beijing and tokyo might get canceled and then that kind of left me sitting there you know what yeah what what do i do you know everything i've worked for for 14 years like i don't even have the shot at the olympics like and you kind of sit there and be like did i did i have a good run did i you know would i be satisfied if this was the end and you have to do that kind of soul searching but um yeah so i think just being appreciative of everything that you you do have and then focusing on what you can control curious also just on the last year what got you through entertainment wise what were the books that you loved or the shows that you you binged or the music what was it soundtrack what was the entertainment for you the last year i was on the tiger king train like everyone else <laughs> um, uh i have been i think i've been i'm a huge crime crime show junkie mm -hmm. so i think i've binge watched every everything including um ones from like uh you know uh, scandinavian countries that have mm -hmm. subtitles so um those definitely got me through netflix was netflix was definitely what got me through i think um oh. yeah some puzzling as well Okay. Until my dog ate the ate the pieces. Was Mindhunter on that list? Yes, but actually not this. It wasn't even last year. I just found it um, a few like a month ago, and I like I'm so sad that it's over. Why? It was so fascinating. It was it was incredibly fascinating. I think they're supposed to make another season, so I'm really excited. No, they're not. They're not going to. What? I read like recently they said they're not going to. I, I don't. I don't know why they wouldn't. It was fascinating. Everyone who I, everyone who has talked to who's watched it, it says the exact same thing. So, yeah. and the guy who plays Ed Kemper, yeah, he was so scary, but I couldn't take my eyes off. It was, it was fantastic. And they cast him so well. Like you Google him, and you're like, oh my god! Like you did such a good job casting him, and he played the part so well. Yeah, yeah. And the guy who played Charles Manson also played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the Brad Pitt and DiCaprio movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that movie. Sorry. Like a lot of people, a lot of people loved it. And I was just like, Brad Pitt with a shirt off. That was the good part. But other <laughs> that, I just couldn't get into it. But yeah. So what's next for you? What are, what's the timeline preparation for you for the Olympics? Yeah. So the Olympics are in February in China. Um, hopefully uh, we're still kind of waiting to see. There's some, you know, speculation that if, so, you know tokyo gets canceled do they start looking at beijing and seeing if that's even feasible but as of right now we have to plan that it's going to happen um yeah lots of steps for me uh our team the canadian team has um standards that we have to meet physical standards so sprinting times push times 
Um, so though there's some camps currently scheduled, hopefully they'll be able to go ahead throughout the summer and into the fall. Uh, we should have selections in September. So at selections, my goal is to win. Um, I have to be in that top two in order to make kind of the World Cup team, which gives you the best chance at qualifying for the games. Um, we don't have Olympic criteria yet, so kind of basing it off of what they've done for the last two games is whoever has the most international points, um, and you get those by, you know, racing and doing well. So, yeah, uh, so, yeah, win selections, uh, go on World Cup and do really well, <laughs> get named to the Olympic team. So that, that's the plan. Um, that is the current plan to do. So Very cool. Well, I'll be rooting for you every step of the way. Before I let you go, I have to ask, for someone visiting Calgary for the first time, what would be your recommendations? Ooh. Um, well, if you visit during Stampede, I would highly recommend Stampede. Um, but if not, recommendations. Our food scene is fantastic, especially there's so many good restaurants down on 17th Ave. So I'd walk down there, stop at a few places, get some food and different drinks. Um, we have an amazing kind of river area, so you can walk along the river, um, river pathways to, to walk along. Um, not in Calgary, but I have to pump Banff. It's only about an hour and a bit away from Calgary and it's absolutely stunning. So definitely worth a trip out, trip out to Banff. But I think Banff is the most recommended location on the show. I, I oh, know. really? Oh yeah. 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 It's kind of funny because people always ask that question. Like, what should I do in Calgary? And everyone's like, leave Calgary and go to Banff. Yeah. <laughs> but I was almost going to, I was almost going to preface the question by saying, aside <laughs> from getting out of, of, of Calgary, what would be, what would be, you mentioned great food scene. So what is the food and drink order? I love Una Pizza. Um, they do these amazing, amazing pizzas. Um, they just somehow get the, it's thin crust. They somehow get the crust absolutely perfect. Um, and uh, where else? Donna Mac is really good. They do a, a like, they just have really interesting twists on, on kind of normal foods. Um, like burgers or salads or whatever, but smaller, smaller plates, really good chef lineup. Um, and drinks are, are really good there too. So those are my two recommendations. Thank you for the opportunity to be on here. I have a question for you though. Okay, I'm excited. Now that you can kind of travel, where, where's the first place you're going to travel? Um, internationally, gosh, I had this guest on who is a scuba professional. So he teaches people how to scuba dive and he's in Iceland. And I've been there before, but they have that new volcano. Have you seen pictures? Yeah, the one that's erupting. Yeah, kind of, so it's yeah. still erupting. It's still awesome and i'm just looking at this and i'm just thinking i have to go see that like, i have to go see this volcano in person i don't know so that's the next international one for me i think oh that's amazing yeah just, well if you're ever up in whistler we'll give you some skeleton lessons that i would i would love to try i would, I would love to try <laughs> you, can, you can help me with my geography <laughs> <laughs> when you said that i, I didn't want to correct you but it is it, funny i think people people will laugh people will get a kick out of it though yeah but, sorry people i didn't do well in that part of school <laughs> Blue skeleton bobsled. You guys have the coolest outfits of any sport. I I think so, and I think that's a really cool thing about Canada. So Canada started that helmet uh, painted helmet trend, mm -hmm. um, or the old guard back in kind of like the 2010 era. They had some amazing helmets um, that they had painted, and no one really else in the world was, had painted helmets at the time. So I think that's actually a really cool legacy of the Canadian skeleton team. And like everyone else just continues to push the boundaries on what they get and everything is so unique. Um, yeah. like we have one guy who has like, I think beavers, like he's got beavers like holding chainsaws or something like <laughs> it's just, 
<laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting to see people's different tapes on like Canadiana. Yeah. And I like how if you got to put it on the top because you get it as you're, as you're headed down. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you for today. I hope we chat again. I'd love to chat with you after World Cup time and finding preparation Olympics. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great if I make, yeah, definitely reach out. So when you make, awesome. when, when you make when it, when I you make, make it. it. Yes, exactly. So this was great. Made my day. Thanks. So thank you for today. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Perfect. Well, thank you. Have a, have a great weekend. You as well. Have fun at the baseball diamonds. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Jacqueline. Wasn't she fantastic? And Jacqueline, I am going to hold you to that offer of teaching you skeleton. You tell me when and where, and I'm there at least just one time down the track. That's all I need, just one time. But I'm going to hold you to it. Be sure to follow Jacqueline on social media. And if you want to help support her in achieving her Olympic dream, visit her website, JacquelineLeBurge.com, and be part of the 22 Podium Fundraiser. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise, and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son. <laughs>